Hey there, everyone. This is Dan Fagella with Tech Emergence, uh, where we interview in, uh, entrepreneurs, investors, and researchers in the domain of emerging technology. Today, I'm lucky enough to be on the line with Jeremy Fryer Biggs, who happens to be a founder of Mebotics, which is a 3D printing company, as well as co-founder of Cymedica, which is a venture-backed uh, future orth orthopedics company as well. And today, we're going to hone in on 3D printing itself. Jeremy, how are you? How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm glad we're able to catch up. I, I know I, I ran into you out there in Western Mass there at the Tech Sandbox where you were sort of talking about your company, and I knew it ended up being a fit uh, for Tech Emergence in terms of some of the topics that we're diving into. One of the first things I really wanted to get into now is as somebody like yourself who's as embedded in the 3D printing space, uh, both in terms of all the cool and, and funky applications as well as obviously the business thereof, Many people walking around, I think, in day-to-day -day life, you know, if you work at a PR firm and you sort of go in the, the train and go to work and come back home, you don't necessarily go to bed and, and have any notion of, here's how 3D printing is impacting my world. So I think for a lot of people, it's still a very far-off notion um, that you know, this 3D printing thing is something that it, it matters and can do stuff um, and, and may, in fact, have you know, or already be making an impact maybe behind the scenes um, and so I think many of us are, are, are potentially ignorant to, to the, the grander scale shifts that might have already happened or the ways that these things are impacting our lives that we're not aware of. How would you say 3D printing is already sort of making that dent in our world and society right now that, that maybe most folks are not tuned into? I think you have to break it down into two categories. The first category are sort of what's happening right now and then what could happen on the horizon. Got it. So right now... There are two subcategories, since we're doing categories. Um, the first is that things currently are being manufactured with 3D printers. If you look at uh, GE, General Electric, they have a jet engine division, and uh, they have started to manufacture parts in the engines with the 3D printers because it allows you to create geometries that you couldn't with a traditional uh, manufacturing method, CNC or injection molding. Yeah. Um, so if you've flown on a plane, a recent plane with a new engine, you've probably experienced 3D printing and didn't even know. Um, the, the other thing you'll find is that uh, it's been used, it's now used to prototype, and I think we've heard all heard this a lot, just about everything. So, um, you know, a lot of the products you use in your everyday life, things sitting on your desk, things in your car, um, were designed using a 3D printer and are probably better for it. Uh, the person who designed it got to see it in the real world, playing with it a few times. Uh, so the, the improvement in the quality of products in terms of how they function in the last couple of years is a result of 3D printing. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, and I think prototyping, most people are at least somewhat familiar that uh, prototyping is such a major application of, of 3D printing in and of itself. Um, jet engine parts. Um, it, that, that whole shift that you had mentioned there with jet engines, I imagine, is, is uh, and we'll get into future functionality and, and where things might go towards the end of our, our chat here, um, uh, but I, I, I suppose that would seem as though it might be one of the shifts that's already taking place, not just, you know, in, in one factory in GE where these crazy rogue fellas are printing out jet parts. I imagine this is a, a, a shift um, that's that's occurring in a number of different fields in a number of, of different ways. Where else is injection molding and, and other traditional methods of manufacturing starting to fall by the wayside? Outside of prototyping some funky thing you don't want to make a million molds for, um, where is not just the prototyping phase, but the literal manufacturing phase sort of shifting to 3D printing on the aggregate as opposed to um, 
uh, injection and, and things like that? Anytime you have small runs uh, where the thing needs to be custom shaped. I was talking to a venture capitalist yesterday afternoon uh, to remain nameless, and she was telling me it's a company they just funded uh, that is making orthopedic inserts for your shoes. And because uh, those are one-offs, they're making it tailored to your exact foot shape. Yeah. Uh, those are all pretty pretty. Uh, and, you know, what 3D printing gives you in that is, is, is the ability, is the flexibility. You can make any shape without having to invest a huge capital cost in molds and machinery and things. Got it. Okay, so anytime there's there's custom tailoring, I think you had mentioned during the the talk at the presentation that we both attended there, um, uh, or it was you or somebody else in the room when you were speaking about Invisalign and the the dental work being done in that respect, because obviously that's going to have to be tailored person to person. Yeah, Invisalign. If you guys, if anybody out there in, in the world listening right now um, has used any of those Invisalign inserts for their teeth, uh, those are three printed. And they're 3D printed to be the exact shape of your teeth and mouth so that they're comfortable and they do what they're supposed to do. Cool. Okay. So they, they've obviously got their hands on a, uh, you know, a, a boatload of 3D printers, I can imagine, if, if they're getting those going all over the country or all over the world. I'm not exactly sure how large Invisalign is, but I know they've been at it for quite some time. Um, so, so, all right, Invisalign. Yeah, go ahead. Not to cut you off or anything. Um, yeah. they, they used a different manufacturing method early on. They vacuumed for them, um, and ah. it's transferred over to three D printing in the last few years. Cool. Okay. Okay. So, so it's it, that's now a recent shift for them. Um, so anything anything that has to be customized or tailored, it would make sense that three D printing would be the way to go. At the same time, it sounds to me like, and again, I could be wrong here, the jet engine parts. Uh, may be pretty similar from one jet engine to another jet engine, that the advantage there is really, as you had mentioned, being able to form shapes and pieces and components in ways that traditional molds wouldn't work. So in addition to that customization factor of, of 3D printing really making sense, the inserts, the shoes, things along those lines, um, it seems as though there's another dimension to this 3D printing manufacturing takeover uh, aspect of, of just being able to form... Uh, maybe better or more efficient, uh, unique shaped parts that traditional molds couldn't um, couldn't work with. Maybe can you speak a little bit to that as well? Yeah, I mean, three D printing is by its nature slower and more expensive than a lot of traditional manufacturing methods, which are uh, faster and cheaper uh, for what they do. So, if you have an application where you're manufacturing and it's not a huge run, uh, you can't make as far as I know, technologies that are out there, you can't make that many parts, as many as you can with the same injection mold. Yep. Uh, but if you're making a limited manufacturing run, if it's not price sensitive, so things like a JIT engine, I mean, those are obviously price sensitive, but less so, or medical devices where the market, you know, there's more money in it. Uh, so limited number, uh, specialty shapes, and you have the padding and the margin to be able to do it, 3D printing can be an excellent choice for production. Got it. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think, so, so for the jet engine parts, is, is, that, is, is that a factor of GE just basically doesn't feel like making a bunch of other molds for that unique shape? Or is it that GE has the money to do it and it, they can make a better, more efficient part, even if it is a smaller run, by doing 3D printing? Which, which one really is it for them? Is it just, ah, you know, we don't want to build these damn molds for this thing? Or is it, 
well, shucks, 3D printing actually makes a better part altogether. We got the money to do it. Let's do it. Got to go with the oh, shucks option. Um, GE has, as far as I know, all the money in the world. Uh, they do it because it allows them to have geometries they couldn't have otherwise. Got it. Okay, okay. So, so yeah, so for them, again, they, they do have... Uh, yeah, I mean, they, they could make whatever kind of molds they'd like, I suppose. I mean, if, if, it, if they had a large enough batch, it would probably just make sense um, speed-wise to create those molds. But from what you're saying, there's also this aspect of the creation of shapes, parts, structures that you literally could not do with traditional molding. It's the shapes, parts, structures, and then I, I would have to submit, I'm not an executive at GE, but I'd have to imagine that it's the fact that the engines they don't make that many of them, and that they're expensive enough. There's enough money in the engine built in that they can have an excess cost to go with the uh, Got it. printing rent. Okay, yep, big product. time. Um, and, and and do you feel as though obviously 3D printing has progressively become cheaper and cheaper? Um, there there's some people that see that going to a pretty uh, you know a pretty absurd level in terms of really being able to to print and produce essentially everything. How how long do you think it'll be? that GE will be doing, um, you know, that, that you'll need a, a company like GE that's really got the, the thick dollars to be able to do those sort of prototype custom parts. Uh, how far do you think we are from, from 3D printing being able to catch up in any remote way, shape, or form with traditional molds in terms of A, price, and, and maybe B, uh, production amount? I know that right now it's, it's rather painstaking in many respects, but less so maybe than it was five years ago, so... Probably going to be a little while. Uh, 3D printing technology has been around since the 80s, and since the early 90s, aerospace has used it for prototyping and various things. Uh, it's, it's slowly kind of coming to our consciousness now, but it, it's not the new kid on the block. It's been around for a while. Um, and over that, what is it, 20 uh, odd year shift plus, you know, even more, pushing 30 years at this point, um, you've seen. Prices come down, machines have gotten cheaper, uh, the technologies have gotten faster, um, but I, I don't expect it, and there's a lot of attention, there's a lot of money in the field right now, I don't expect it to make a year or two to make that quantum leap. I think it's going to be longer. Okay, cool. So not not uh, not long enough for any injection molding folks to get too shaky in their boots right now, but of course if you're thinking a decade out, it sounds like there are maybe some things to consider. Yeah, I think a decade sounds like a nice window for that. Um, and you're going to, it's the nibbling around the edges. It's, it's not going to be, uh, I'm not a futurist, so I, I can't say what the future is, but I, I don't think it's going to be taking over injection molding anytime soon. I think you're going to see it uh, in a lot of these industries where uh, it's a high price item like a jet engine or there, there needs to be that customization and it will take over for a lot of traditional stuff because it's purely more efficient. You don't need to make a million of something. You only need to make a thousand. It is more efficient to go three pretty Got it. Okay, cool. So in terms of application in the relatively near future, that seems to make sense. Um, and I wanted to, to take our, the second portion of, of what we're talking about here um, and, and speak a little bit to some of the functionality of 3D printing, where it might be going, um, what, what sorts of capacities 3D printing machines might be, uh, you know, again, a, able to to do, to produce, to make different things. I know when you were at the event there, you were demonstrating a little bit of the work of your, your Mebotics uh, piece, which which seems to really be, again, I think you had used, what was it, a, a factory in a box or something like that? Uh, 
Yeah, machine shop at a box. Machine shop at a box. That's slogan. Got it, got it. I like it. I like it. It's it's apt. It's succinct. Um, and and the technology you're working on now is is not only adding materials and, and having the ability to add different materials to the same uh, piece that you're working on, but also to be able to shave away and take away material so that you can further mold things or or work with materials in in ways in addition to. Um, addition. So, in addition to addition, I don't know how redundant that sounds, but uh, but yes, in, in addition to adding materials, obviously, again, being able to shave away, to carve off, um, to slough off material, to really be able to add more depth and complexity to what that creation process is inside the machine. Um, speak a little bit to what you guys are working on there, how sort of cutting edge that is, and, and the directions you're aiming to go with with that kind of added functionality. I think it's pretty darn unique from companies I've looked at. to explain a little bit about why we came at it and then sort of what it does and all that stuff. Got it. So we, uh, when you look at a 3D, when you look at the two major 3D printing companies, Stratasys and 3D Systems, a good portion, and it's at least 40%, I don't actually have the figures in front of me now, but at least 40% of their revenue comes from selling machines where the cost of the machine is over $100,000. Yep. And actually a lot over $100,000. Usually most do a million. But I think they, the figure they use is over 100K. Yep. Um, 100K machines are not machines that you're going to have in your house, and they're probably not machines you're going to find in your corner store or small business anytime soon. Um, so the, the, there has been this push, and the reason people get excited about this, one of the reasons I think people get excited, is there's been a huge push into the desktop industry, low-priced free printers that people can afford in their houses, in their, in their businesses, etc., um, and, and so w when we looked at the problem, we said, hey, it would be great if you could have something that people could afford that isn't, you know, in this 100K category, not even in the 10K category, uh, you know, an inexpensive machine that made real-world things. So 3D printers are great, but in that low end, you're getting plastic. You're getting ABS plastic primarily. And it's, uh, you're getting a limited print space. You're getting ABS plastic. And it's usually a single color. So, you know, how many things can you make out of one color ABS? Well, a lot, actually. A surprising amount, but not everything. Yep. So our machine is designed to add and subtract. That allows you to put in precision features in a plastic part. So, uh, oddly enough, when you 3D print, holes usually are not precisely located when you print them. So in our machine, you can print and then fill in the holes if they need to be precisely put. Uh, we have a potential client who we're working with who is a dental manufacturer. And you can come back and clean up models much better with the building process than you can with printing process. So it allows you to get resolution of a hundred plus thousand dollar machine on a five thousand dollar machine. Um, so adding and subtracting does a couple of things. It gives you that, that and then on top of it, uh, it lets you work in a broader range of materials than just ABS plastic. Our machines can cut metal, they can cut wood. They can print plastic, they can milk plastic. You put all that together, and you can make real-world objects that have value to consumers. So you can not only prototype something in real parts that really works, but if I put something I've made on the machine in front of somebody, they go, wow, that looks great. Whether it's, uh, you know, we were making the iPhone dot yesterday out of walnut, and it's got printed parts, and it's got a walnut housing, and it's got an aluminum bottom, and it looks good to the point where you could actually use it for small-run manufacturing. Which is something that desktop machines today really can't. 
Yeah, it's not always as as aesthetic aesthetically appealing uh, with the single color ABS as you had mentioned there, especially. Yeah, we do a demo. Um, I, I, I don't know why I got a letter opener, but we do a demo. I have two letter openers. One I just three printed, and one that and you've seen the other one. Yep. That, uh, we made an aluminum, and it's got a bamboo handle, and it's got a plastic top piece, a guard. Uh, and the demo is this: we take the plastic one that's three D printed, and it looks they're identical in shape. Uh, and I open a letter with it or package, and it snaps in half. Uh, and it usually makes the point pretty well to people that while it looks, I mean, it's a good proxy for a letter opener, it's not a letter opener. It snaps in half from using. And then we take the aluminum one, and of course, you can just about anything like that. Yep. So, okay, so yeah, there's also the added functionality of being able to work with multiple materials. Um, at once. Do, do you think, you know, obviously you guys are aiming to sort of catch the wave before the wave here with regards to more functionality in 3D printing. Do you see that in many respects as uh, a very much inevitable transition, not only working with multiple materials, but also having machines that all in one can both add and, and subtract materials? It seems to me as though those are functionalities that if, if you could build them in and, and you could do it while controlling price, which obviously you guys are sensitive to, um, or, or even if you even if you weren't for some manufacturing applications, but if you did it for you know day to day folks, um, that that there really would be no downside to just adding that additional functionality. Is that is that a wave that's that's hitting us in in other areas, um, in in other industries already in terms of the multiple material, you know, addition and subtraction side of stuff with these machines here? Um, not really. We're sort of the bad guys. There are a couple of companies. Uh, we have some friends and competitors who are doing what we're doing. Um, all started about the same time. Okay. Uh, which what you're seeing more in, in bigger companies, and, and this is sort of what we were trying to drive at. If you're Gigi, you have a giant machine shop. You have unlimited funds. You have the pe- you pay for the people to work in the machine shop. You buy the multi-million dollar tools, etc. Yep. So if you're GE, you don't need one machine that does everything. You buy one that prints metal and one that prints ceramic and one that prints plastic, and that's okay. You've got all the space in the world. You can have independent operators who control them if that's your thing, and you can spend millions and millions of dollars on machines, and you don't even add enough. Yep. So for those guys, and for a lot of you know the high-end machine market, having a combined machine doesn't really do anything for them because they're not price sensitive in that same way. Yeah. But if you're, if you're a small business, if you're... Um, you know, making things out of your garage or your small office, you don't have a lot of room. You certainly don't have a lot of money. And so, you know, you're not going to buy 20 machines. You've got nowhere to put them. You can't afford them anyway, but you've got nowhere to put them. So our machine really is focused towards uh, those smaller businesses uh, and those individuals starting out who want to manufacture something practical or prototype something in real material. Uh, so I think the trend, just to answer your question, that was a long slot for us, but I, I think the trend is, is going for the hybridization is going to focus on the smaller business side of Got things because those are people for whom there are pressures where it makes sense. Yeah, and, and that's actually, that's understandable. I think that that was a, a necessary little blurb there as to why this functionality would be a, a fit and a click for for this particular market and maybe why the pressing need isn't necessarily there for some of the larger manufacturers. I think it's 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 uh it's interesting to make note on that. Um, and and uh, on that same topic of of these functionalities of the future, um, where else do you see three D printing going and taking us? Maybe maybe directions that other people aren't looking at. I think addition and subtraction 
um, is is a pretty is a pretty interesting application. I think that there's no reason that in the future, especially as it becomes more realistic, GE won't have you know or any kind of massive company won't have a, a machine that can do both. I mean, again, so long as it's not prohibitive uh, in terms of the functionality of one or the other, it would seem as though both is is advantageous. What are some other functions of 3D printing units that uh, people should be prepared for, at least considering moving forward. You know, where, uh, what other directions is is 3D printing kind of going uh, right now in terms of those functions? Uh, there's a lot of money in this space right now, and so there, there's a lot of research. There are a lot of startups doing a lot of cool things. I think there's a couple of trends. One, um, you're going to see, if you haven't already, in your town, uh, a 3D printing company. And maybe that's um, an independent company that just is like a coffee shop that they 3D print. But you're also going to see uh, FedEx has started, uh, FedEx Kinkos has started doing 3D printing services. Uh, it's either, and I always confuse this, it's either Office Max or Staples. I'm going to say Office Max. Uh, they now have 3D printers in their coffee shop inside their stores. That's amazing. So you're going to see 3D printers in a place in your local community where you're going to have access to them for pay. Uh, that's already happening, and it's happened in a lot of the United States, and it's continuing to sort of roll out for us. Uh, that's the first thing. There is a, there's a school of thought that says that just like you have a printer in your house tied to your computer, you will have a 3D printer in your house. Yep. That's a little further off, and it's further off for two reasons. One, they're just too darn expensive right now, and two, um, well, three reasons. One, they're too darn expensive. Two, um, most people don't have the skill set to use a 3D printer. I mean, you could plug it in and turn it on, but to make things on it, you need a series of skills that most people don't have, and the software is too complicated. In the coming years, it will simplify to the point where your grandmother probably will be able to make something that she can 3D print. That, that's pretty cool. Um, the third reason is that it's all one. The, the printer you saw at the demo. Uh, with a one material printer. And, you know, if you only have one material that you're printing in and that's it on the machine, you're really limited to the functional, useful things you can do. There are really cool blogs. Uh, Thingiverse, which is run by MakerBot, full disclaimer, uh, they're a competitor, but they do cool stuff, uh, has a website with thousands of models that you can download. So people are, they're all freely submitted by people. People are being really creative coming up with cool stuff. Uh, in terms of the models that, uh, you know, toilet paper holders and rings and vases and stuff like that. But with that said, you're pretty limited with one material. So uh, you'll see it come to your town. You may even see it come to your house. Uh, further out on the horizon, uh, there's all kinds of cool applications. Uh, metal printing is something that only happens in million-dollar machines right now. I mean, there are a couple of startups doing other stuff, but basically that's true. You'll see metal and other materials come down to lower price machines. Uh, there were a whole bunch of app companies doing cool things related to 3D printing, uh, being able to scan rooms and houses and objects and you know, being able to copy things. That'll start to integrate in. Uh, and also uh, medicine. You'll be able to, um, I know we talked about this during the, during the presentation, but you'll be able to print organs. That's the technology that's uh, on the horizon to replace uh, failing organs and people. Um, so it's a, it's a huge range of applications. Cool, and, and I, I know I was speaking with uh, 
Fabrice Grinda, who's um, one of the founders of OLX, it's kind of like a Craigslist uh, in the in the East there, and um, he he's a super angel and is very interested in, in various different uh, sorts of of 3D printing technologies. And he was mentioning that you know it's it's his belief that in in a decade uh, most American homes, or I forget what percentage he had said, but you know half or more, I believe, was what he had mentioned in his interview. Um, we'll have some kind of 3D printer right then and there, you know, whether it's uh, printing clothing or, or other consumer goods or, or, or whatever people need that, that uh, again, half or more homes would have some kind of a 3D printer right there within, within the decade. Do you think that might be a little bit of an aggressive time frame as somebody who's working away in this field, or do you see that as pretty realistic in terms of people being able to print useful things and have a useful personal 3D printer, um, again, within a, a decade from today? It's a lovely notion. I think it's probably a little aggressive, okay. and it's aggressive for the reasons I was talking about a minute ago. The printers are too expensive. They don't make things that people actually want yet, yep. and that, that, that will change, but yet. And the biggest thing is the software. If people can't use them. I mean, you can download a file. Anybody can do that. But if you can't make a change, make it a little bigger, change the color, manipulate it slightly, without uh, years of, of practice using certain, you know, software programs, AutoCAD, SolidWorks, et cetera, yep. um, you're not, you're not going to find it terribly useful. It'll be this thing that sits on your desk and you don't ever actually plug it in. So Got it. I think that's probably aggressive, but who knows? I mean, there's been a lot of progress in this industry, and you can see um, a lot of those issues, the price issue, the, the, the what it does issue in terms of materials and so forth, and the... Uh, the, the software issue all corrected with uh, new technology. So, so who's to say, I suppose, but it sounds like your inkling is that it might be a little bit aggressive there. So, cool. Just interesting to, to glean different opinions from different folks in, in, uh, in this particular space. Um, and and if, if people want to learn a little bit more about uh, your company, I know they can check out Mebotics. Um, where, where, where else could they go to not only learn about you guys, but if somebody's out there now and they're interested in resources just for delving into the world of 3D printing, you know, where things are going in the future, where, where might be the best places to keep a pulse on the field, um, where could they connect to you and or that kind of info? Uh, the internet, which I guess is a misleading answer. Um, sure is. There are design blogs, um, Core 77, I, they, it's an industrial design blog. Core they, 77, uh, okay. They do a lot of 3D printing stuff. I mean, they do a lot of other things, too. Um, any tech sites, so, um, you know, Engadget, uh, Gizmag, PC Magazine, anything like that, uh, 3D printing has become part of the conversation, along with everything else they already cover. They have editors who just do that. Um, any of the maker of blogs, Make Magazine is an excellent example. Um, they're great magazines, uh, and there's a lot of 3D printing there. Great. Okay, so Make Magazine might be a, per, a specific resource. You had mentioned Core 77. I've actually never heard of them, but you had mentioned that's what a design uh, blog more did around design. Yeah, I mean, a lot of design blogs and tech blogs, uh, there's, there's a ton of stuff out there right now. Okay. Um, even mainstream science publications. Uh, we did an article with a few scientists not that long ago, um, but popular mechanics, things like that. Um, you know, they're talking about, everybody's talking about 3D printing right now. Okay, cool. So you can find it in the mainstream, but if you want some specifics, maybe 
Make Magazine. Um, I, I imagine they have a website with probably plenty of stuff in, in addition to whatever they're doing print-wise. Yeah, I mean, for example, for them, in November, they came out with an issue that was, their November issue was only 3D printing. Oh, wow, okay, go figure. Um, so, pretty darn cool. Great, and then if folks want to learn more about uh, your company, Mubotics, and the, the addition and subtraction side of things in the 3D printing space, it's just mebotics.com, if I'm not mistaken here. Yep, that's exactly right. Bada bing. Okay, great. Hey, Jeremy, thank you so much for being able to take the time and dive into the future of 3D printing stuff today. I appreciate it. Absolutely my pleasure. This was fun. Cool.